The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Dennis Johnson. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. We'll hear God's word in our devotion this morning, first from the end of Psalm 103 and the beginning of Psalm 104, and then we'll turn again to Hebrews chapter one, reading verses seven through 12. Psalm 103, beginning at verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. And then from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. On the one hand, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But on the other, of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Please join me as we pray together. Father, we ask again that you would show us the glory of your Son, the one who is the radiance of your glory and the exact imprint of your nature, the one who, through whom you created the universe and the one uh, who sustains the universe by the word of his power and the one who has become our human brother who has taken to himself our flesh and blood that he might atone for our sin and redeem us and draw us into your presence. Help us, Father, to see the glory of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, Uh, as we see him again contrasted with angels today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are thinking through these seven texts that our preacher cites to demonstrate his point that the Son, Christ, is infinitely greater than the angels. We saw last spring, some of us, Uh, in the prologue, verses one through four, that uh, he speaks of the son's superiority, his preeminence as the creator, as the eternal son through whom the father created the universe and who sustains the universe. But we also saw that he speaks of the son's exaltation as the messianic son. 
as the one who has taken our human nature, become lower than the angels, made purification for our sins, and now been seated at the right hand of the Father by virtue of his resurrection and his ascension. He is greater than the angels in that way too. The first triad of quotes, the ones that we've looked at in the previous meditations this semester, have focused on the exaltation of the messianic son. That by virtue of his humiliation and now his resurrection and ascension, he has been called and appointed as the eternal messianic son from here on out, the one whom the father calls his son, and the one whom the angels are commanded to worship as the father leads the son into the world to come, leads him into his heavenly reward after his earthly suffering. Now we come to a, a second triad of quotations. First one, two quotations about the son, one about the angels, this set of three, one about the angels, two about the son, and now the focus is on his eternal sonship. The focus is on how much greater he is as creator than the angels and all the other creatures. And so we come to this quotation from Psalm 104, verse four, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Last time I mentioned that some commentators say, well, in that quotation that we looked at last time from maybe Psalm 97, maybe Deuteronomy 32, the focus is all on the angels. But we notice that the sun is there too. God commanded, let all the angels worship him. Well, the same thing is true here, that the sun is present in this. He who makes his angels wins. He who makes his angels wins. His servants, ministers, flames of fire. The sun's all over this little text, even though angels are mentioned by name. So again, we see his preeminence here. But we might wonder if we read this verse in the context of Psalm 104, is it really about what we usually call angels? Is it really about immaterial, spiritual, personal, obedient, servants of God who hear his word and rush out into the world to do his commands. Isn't this about a thunderstorm? Isn't this about gale force winds? Isn't this about lightning, flames of fire? Isn't this about what we sang about in Psalm 148, uh, about the stormy winds that hear God's call and obey? Um, is it really about angels? Does it really make the, the, the case that our preacher thinks, claims it makes, that the son is greater than the angels who are his ministers and who are his creation. Isn't this a graphic description of a thunderstorm? Well, biblical authors know that thunderstorms, rain, lightning, wind, really do have to obey God because what we call the order of nature or natural uh, scientific laws, cause and effect, they're all where they are and they function because the God of all creation is a God of great wisdom and power and he's ordained all these principles that lead to the rising of winds and the forming of hurricanes and the sliding of mud down California freeways. He's in charge 
And they do all obey him. So the psalmist is not at all reluctant to talk about what we might think of as impersonal, inanimate forces, consciously hearing God's command and obeying it. That's what he's doing in Psalm 148, to be sure. And maybe that's what he's doing, at least in part, in Psalm 104. But our preacher, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, says there's a little bit more at work here. Among other things, he is capitalizing on the ambiguity of some terms that God in his providence in designing ancient languages, unbeknownst to the speakers of those languages, has built into the languages. For example, in both Hebrew and Greek, a single word can refer both to physical winds and to immaterial spirits. You know that, right? Hebrew, ruach, and Greek, pneuma, physical winds, but also those immaterial, personal spirits. And in both Hebrew and Greek, a single word can refer to anyone or anything that is sent to accomplish a task or to deliver a message. Hebrew, malach, messenger. Hebrew, angelos, messenger. It can also refer very specifically to personal, spiritual, immaterial, obedient spirits who come to do God's will. And our preacher is capitalizing on that. And in a sense, he's He's implying that just as physical winds and flaming lightning must serve God, do serve God as his messengers, so God's spiritual messengers also delight to fill the role of servants. That's why he puts them side by side. His angels, his ministers, or his servants. But he has some basis for that in the context of the Psalms. That's why I thought it was helpful for us to hear the end of Psalm 103, where the psalmist clearly in the psalm just before, a psalm that is clearly linked to Psalm 104 by that summons, bless the Lord, O my soul, which opens Psalm 103 and closes Psalm 103 and opens Psalm 104. Clearly they're tied together. And you heard at the end of 103 that the psalmist is addressing God's angels, his hosts, his ministers, calling them to bless the Lord, personal, immaterial, spiritual, obedient servants of God. And so if you're singing through the Psalms and you sing the end of 103 and then you sing into 104, our preacher's on very good ground to be taking messengers as spirits or winds and ministers of flaming fire, not just to refer to stormy manifestations in the weather around us, but to the way those stormy manifestations show us the spiritual messengers of God. In case we begin to wonder about whether that's really there, he actually makes sure that we connect angels with servanthood in the last verse of this first chapter. They are ministering spirits sent to serve us, actually. But we'll have to wait on that part a little bit. So they're angels. And their manifestation visibly may be in stormy winds that hear God's call and in lightning as well. So the preacher is, is, has some exegetical basis for arguing that these stormy winds and lightnings really display the, the uh, superhuman spiritual 
servants of God that we would call angels. And he wants to make a couple of points about these angels, especially by way of contrast. He, he marks the contrast. Our versions have trouble marking the contrast in English structure, but he marks the contrast, you who are looking at your Greek, maybe, by these two little Greek particles, men and de. On the one hand, on the other. The quotation from Psalm 104 and verse 7 begins, on the one hand of the angels, he says, and then he quotes the psalm. And then beginning at verse 8, but de, on the other hand about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He quotes from Psalm 45 and then some from Psalm 102. Those are ahead of us this semester. On the one hand, on the other. And the way that those two little particles group this group of three, this triad, one about the angels, two about the sun, suggests that we need to look at the last two texts to see part of the contrast that's being said about the angels. His angels are winds, his messengers a flame of fire. By contrast, the sun is the ruler. They, they, they're servants and he's the ruler, he's the king on the throne. You see that in Psalm 45. He's the king who has a throne. He's the king whom God calls God. He's the king who has a scepter of uprightness. He's the king who's been anointed with the oil of gladness. He's the king. In fact, he's the Lord. He's the Lord who made everything, Psalm 102 and uh, therefore they all belong to him. So there's one contrast. Angels are servants. The son's servants, but as he says in verse 14, for his sake, our servants. But the other contrast is the angels, like everything else in creation, are full of movement and change and perhaps even decay. And that's some of what you see in the storm, in the winds, in the lightning. By contrast, especially in Psalm 102, you notice he points out that the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and the heaven and the earth will finally decay. This present heaven and earth will get rolled up like a tattered, threadbare robe, garment put away. But you remain the same. The sun is the creator who lasts and lasts and lasts. See, Psalm 102 shows the sun to be the Lord and creator who laid the earth's foundations in the beginning, whose hands stretched the heavens overhead, and who will outlast his created universe, which is destined for eventual destruction. The psalmist sensed that. Preacher to the Hebrews certainly knew that because he will talk in chapter 12 about God's voice at the end of history shaking heaven and earth. Shaking heaven and earth. This is long before physicists started to talk about entropy. And this is long before environmental scientists started to get nervous about global warming. The biblical authors writing by the Spirit of God knew that this world is destined for decay, things wear out, things fall apart. The sky overhead, its days are numbered. 
terra firma under our feet, it may be shaken. Well, actually, we're in California. We know it shakes, right? Because we stand on faults all the time. Not our faults, this is Brown's faults. We have our own faults, but that's another issue. You see the stormy winds and the lightning show in a little bit that the angels themselves, though greater than we in some respects in power and access to the presence of God right now, uh, are sent as our servants, but they share in this decay. He may even be laying a little bit of the foundation for the point that he's going to make in chapter 2 and then again in chapter 8, that the angels brought the law to Moses for Israel on Mount Sinai, but we've heard a better word of salvation through the Son, and as he says in chapter 8, even that law, that particular administration of God's covenant of grace was actually going to be rendered obsolete someday by a new covenant established by Jesus. That's, that's his point in chapter 8. So he may be talking about that too, but mainly he's focusing on don't rest your trust in things that change. Not even angels. Don't rest your th trust in things that change. Rest your trust in the creator who is the same forever, whose years will have no end. Uh, I can't I can't restrain myself from taking us to Psalm 102 because that's, that's where the contrast is leading us. As I mentioned, Hebrews 12, he says, the day is coming when this heavens and earth are somehow going to be dismantled. And we know from other texts of scripture to be replaced by a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness, when the curse will be gone. But he says there's one thing that we now have that cannot be shaken. And that's the kingdom that has been granted to us by the eternal son who's become the messianic son. You have received an unshakable kingdom. So worship God. So give thanks to God. Offer to him acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Don't base your hope on angels or, or any mere creature. We may not be tempted to base our hope on angels. We can't see them very much. We know the TV shows that focus on them are really hokey. But we may be tempted to base our trust on other human beings who are at least as fragile. Um, don't base your trust on creatures. But instead, base your trust on the Son, on the Lord who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and who has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's where Hebrews leads us in chapter 13. I will never leave you or forsake you. This son remains the same forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sound, establishing our hopes and our lives on your eternal son by sending him as the messianic son to be our redeemer, to call us his brothers and sisters, to enter into the ebbs and flows and changes and decay and even death itself that characterize our experience as creatures and as fallen creatures inhabiting a fallen world. But as he came, among us and embraced our human nature and endured the wrath that we deserve even as he was holy and harmless and undefiled. 
Jesus bestowed on us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. For that we give you thanks. Fix our hearts firmly on him who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.